to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things Dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Tony. And I'm Nate. Roland got called away to fight a battle with forces of evil because it turns out that he is secretly a superhero in his uh, spare time. So, so it's dang goblins. See fighting uh, with a minecart, apparently. You never know when the forces of evil are going to show up, and uh, and unfortunately it seems that they showed up uh, at an inopportune time. But we do have Nate here, and Nate, we appreciate you staying up very late in your location to talk with us today. Uh, do it again? Okay, so let us uh, get to the meat and potatoes. So a few weeks ago now on Reddit, there was a post about using, about weaponized minecarts and, you know, building some cool stuff with minecarts that would obliterate folks with water from minecarts. And, um, and so that was so cool. So we reached out and asked if Nate would come on the show and talk to us about how to do this wizardry and sorcery. And it's actually pretty good timing because someone else in the Dwarf Fortress community did something cool with minecarts just recently as well. I want to say perhaps drawing on the same inspiration as we did to pull Nate on. So anyway, here we are talking about minecarts. And yeah, so... It does seem that there's a lot of buzz in the community about minecarts now, a feature that is years old. And it's sort of strange for this to be uh, a thing that everyone's coming back to whenever we have got the new villains release out. But yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. What's what's this villain's release? No, hang on. Okay, we we covered that already. Uh, yeah. So I, think, um, I believe it was from one of the previous podcasts that got me thinking back to that. I made this a while ago, the minecart water shotgun thing, but just let it die in my saves file for quite a while, and then a friend reminded me of it, and I was listening to the podcast a while back, and I think someone was saying they wanted to experiment more with. Minecarts and yeah, I, I did it. right on the eve of the release. I was like, you know what, I should do. I should go and learn minecarts. And everyone's like, why would you do that when the release <laughs> yeah. is just on? The, why would you look at a four-year-old feature? And I was like, look, I don't even <laughs> know what the tracks do. Like every time I do it, nothing happens. They just carve the tracks and they sit there. You know. So anyway, yeah. I also think that our ineptitude with both adventure mode and minecarts, at least for you and me, Tony. Have uh have been a recurring theme in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've played with minecarts again. Love the idea. Uh, yesterday was the first time I'd ever gotten them to even put a minecart on the track. So, hey, man, I can see that progress. Yeah. So, so how how what's the what's the principle of it all? It's basically a, a ten barrel automatic minecart water shotgun. And we have a show title. <laughs> so it just launches globs of water. Um, out the danger end at high velocities uh, from 10 separate chambers and each chamber has like 10 or 11 minecarts in it and it's fully automatic and just keep shooting until you tell it to stop or until every dwarf has been killed by it exactly <laughs> while trying to collect the socks of their fallen comrades i've seen a few designs on people making it trying to make it smaller and more compact and automated and i thought i'd give it a shot at trying to make on myself i haven't seen one something as big or 10 barrels um, <laughs> one that I made, but it's uh, definitely a painful process to go through and a lot of fiddly bits that don't seem to make much sense, but to get timings and roller speeds working, to get them all work, the uh, minecarts to do what you want them to do. It sounded like it was completely autonomous, like I didn't need to have your make button pusher standing around. 
like yeah correct stuff. so you flick a lever and then it all starts spewing water out the the firing end from several several lanes i guess and then you can pull over to stop it again and hope that your duels don't walk in front of it in the meantime which they almost <laughs> certainly will oh um, yeah there seems to be some sort of magnetic attraction to danger and dwarves. They, yeah. <laughs> I, I bet he's put that in there in the code somewhere. He has to. Yeah. Because otherwise. The faster a minecart seems to go, the more dwarves want to go and hug it. <laughs> if there is a minecart there, please ignore restricted areas. <laughs> yeah. In other works. words, ignore the restriction. Yeah. I've noticed that seems to be a recurring theme is you're going to lose. You're going to lose citizens to the to the minecarts they just can't seem to keep away oh, absolutely um, and that's why you fill your fort with necromancers right yeah <laughs> bring them back again i don't i don't want mom to be dead any directive that you give to a dwarf is at best a suggestion that you would very much like them to to honor they still have their minds of their own it seems oh yeah so when you're building it like how where i mean are you digging a reservoir or what's the how do you even start to crack this awful nut? Well, the, I think one of the biggest challenges is that this world was a, a one-by-one embark. So I just wanted something really tiny that I could seal up the surface with bridges initially and then have everything funnel through a small area and then I could work on getting a, the water gun to gun them all down. But then I think I just started small with the single barrel and digging out the areas and then building tracks on top of it and rollers and then tearing it all apart when it doesn't work inevitably and smoothing everything and recarving tracks. And yes, it's quite a painful process, but it effectively uses a combination of rollers and impulse ramps. So the bottom level is flooded with water and then you need imp- uh, rollers to push the minecarts through the water. But you also have to have it at a certain speed or else they won't fill with water. So if they travel too oh, quickly, they won't fill. God. Yeah, so they need to move fast enough in parts to that it won't jam, but then needs to move slow enough in other sections that they will fill with water, otherwise they'll just scoot on through. And then they also need to pick up speed again at the end in order to effectively get airborne to launch themselves through a fortification so that they can change directions on the same sort of (laughs) Y-axis. Oh, God. Because they need to go, yeah, to get them directly up. They need to change direction on the same, I guess, y-axis. So there's a bit of dwarven physics there where they get airborne and then travel through a fortification because they're airborne and then can travel back up to the firing barrel, I guess. Oh, my goodness. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, yep. so what? So so talk about the, like, what's an impulse ramp? Is that the, right. is that the thing that speeds the carts up? Yeah. Yeah, so they're a, they're a bug in the game where okay. if you carve a track onto a ramp, that one part of the track faces a wall constructed or dug out, and the other the other part of the track just points in a direction. The minecart will effectively be treated as falling onto that ramp and gaining speed, and so it'll even if it just moves onto that tile, it'll gain speed because the game thinks that it's fallen onto the ramp and then travelled down it. And so by placing many of these in front of each other, the minecart gains free momentum and a lot of it. Oh, that makes sense. And without that, this probably wouldn't work. Is that correct? Right? So like, well, I'm not sure how fast impulse, um, sorry, not impulse, uh, rollers can get a minecart. 
but you can get a lot more speed with impulse ramps. It's effectively just dropping down. So I, I think Krug Smash in his latest video dealt with minecarts a bit as well with his um, shotgun, but he had his just falling down, I think, four or five Z-levels to gain the momentum to shoot out the everything. But this impulse ramps basically have the equivalent of gaining one, I guess, level of power for every one you make. And so you can just put a massive chain of them and it's effectively like a minecart falling from a great height and picking up a lot of speed very quickly. Oh, I see. So it's basically, you could do it. It would just take more. It yeah, would just exactly. take a lot more, basically. Okay. I know that in Krug Smash's video, the other trap that he set up, not the shotgun, but the little grinder, if you will. Yeah. He had the, the, the minecarts in small loops with, uh, I don't know if he had just one roller or two rollers per loop, but yeah. those whenever those got to go on really, really fast. So uh, yeah, you can, yeah, exactly. you can probably so, figure out how to do it with uh, with with rollers, I'd say. But, but uh, yeah, yeah sure. impulse ramps seem like they're easier. Yeah, and you don't need power to get to them all, which is nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's a big I see. They can go unpowered yeah. that way. Exactly. Oh, so it's just free cool. energy and free momentum, basically. So it's kind of where you want to stand with bugs versus making interesting things. But for something like the auto shotgun, I figured it was a fair call to use, <laughs> abuse it. Hey, it's quantum, man. It's quantum. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. You know, you don't have the whole rest of your lives to do this kind of stuff. So <laughs> you got to get on with it. Exactly. I, I think that's, I think it's fair. And hey, you know what? It's a feature in the game right now. So let's just go with that, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I look at it and I'm like, okay, all right. How do you start? Where do you start with Minecraft? Do you, do you, should we talk about a, like a minecarts well, for dummies? I just started my, my journey with minecarts last night. I had hoped to, uh, I had hoped to have something to talk about. Hey, how'd that go? <laughs> but but uh, I uh, actually set it up maybe for the purpose that they were intended. It was I've got a huge cavern that I'm hollowing out in one of my lower levels, and uh, I'm using it to to move stone from the cavern to a stockpile that's quite a ways away. And I actually have the track set up, but I don't have any carts created yet because whenever i went up to create the mine carts at my carpenter shop i realized that i had no wood and then i went outside and realized that that whenever uh all the trees that were accessible to the opening of my fortress on the correct side of the river uh, had been cut already and so i started to build a bridge over the river to go get the other trees and then a were llama showed up and Oopsie daisy yeah that that didn't work out well last night but my track is complete and okay. I figured out how to lay track, which is, you know, that's something. <laughs> yep, at the start. And so did you get a minecart on the track or did it just, you just basically do the, drew the track down? I laid the track down and I put stops at each end. And I I do have a question about the stops, but uh, I, I noted that whenever you lay down a stop, you can tell it with the stop that you want the minecart to dump at that point. And you can tell it the direction in which you want the minecart to dump when it gets there. So, for example, I had a east-west laying track, and I want it to dump toward the west. So you can set that when you put your stop down. Uh, thank you, Krug Smash, for letting me know you put the stop down on top of an existing track and not past <laughs> the track. Yep. So, um, so there was also a setting on those on the minecart 
uh, sorry, on the on the stops for the friction, whether it's high, low, and anywhere in between. What what is that talking about? So that affects how much it's going to slow down the minecart. So if you set it the highest, it's for most cases just going to stop a minecart when it hits it. Um, if you set it to lowest, it'll just slow it down a little bit. And so you can have it so um, oh. if you have minecarts that have a lot of momentum, you want to slow them down. You can put a track stop that has lower friction than the maximum, and it'll just slow them down uh, as it goes over it. If it doesn't stop and you set it to dump to the north, will it keep going even though it dumped out its load? That's a good question. I usually, I've never dealt with that really. I've only ever had to dump it and have them stop on the same tile. But I would imagine so. I'll try to report back uh, if I ever get minecarts actually on the track. What happens? You'll do so, it. Yeah. I can feel so that's it. neat. That's neat. Uh, Hey! Did we lose somebody or did we gain somebody? Nope, we gained somebody. We we gained somebody. That's exciting. Is it somebody we know? Um, I hope so. Oh, there he is. Okay, good. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Yay. Uh, Well, we were just chatting about the joys of minecarts. Minecarts. We noted, Roland, that, uh, that... that you had a, a force of evil that you had to change into your superhero persona to go fight. And now you done done it. And Roland, we were talking about this particular minecart uh, fun in, in that it doesn't require external power. Did I get that right? So basically you're Correct. able to do it with the, I was going to call them quantum ramps, but I suppose impulse <laughs> ramp is probably more appropriate, isn't it? So, um, yep. yeah, so you can do it with the, basically with the ramps dropping onto, or the carts dropping onto ramps and stuff to speed them up. Hmm. So that seems pretty cool. So even like on a flat straight section, you can have free speed and they get very quickly or get a lot of speed very quickly for no power, which is very handy. That is pretty good. And then you don't have to fuss with the, the, the windmills and the mechanisms and the trying to do all that stuff. Because that, that part seems complicated. I mean, I guess there isn't anything that's not complicated, but that seems even more complicated. So, yeah, you still, I still had to deal with a lot of that anyway, because the bottom row needs rollers, which will require power anyway. Oh, so I see. I've just drained a uh, section of the cavern layer. I'm draining that off the edge of the world, and then there's a lot of uh, windmills and water pump, water mills, water wheels, that's the one, that just sit above that, so got a lot of power, but transferring it around is still a pain. Yeah, they're not good about building wires, are they? No. <laughs> it's not part of Dwarven engineering. And for whatever reason, rollers don't transfer power along the roller, I guess, so if you have a big roller, you can only build it like 10 rows long, similar to walls and stuff. But if you just have a long, straight line of it, it won't transfer power along the entire length. But it does transfer power sideways. And so with all the, if you have a roller, two sets of rollers next to each other, you can kind of alternate the lengths to zigzag the power through them all. But it's very painful to get that to work with um, in cramped spaces. But yeah, fun, fun methods of Dwarven physics, I guess. So one thing I've noticed with minecarts is when I build it and I start putting my my roots on it and I do 
I define the stops, it tells me that I can, you know, that the dwarves will guide it north immediately when it's full of desired items or guide north in 14 days or guide north in 28 days. But it always seems to be north. They only want to guide it north. Is that normal or have I done something wrong? You can change the direction, I believe. Oh. I can pull it up now. Um, but yeah. Oh, I see. So you need to also tell it which direction you, yeah. you tell it to do. Otherwise, it, otherwise, they're like, north, there's no tracks north. I can't push this north. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so when you have that, you can press D to change the cardinal direction that they uh, push it. I got it. Uh, that, yep. makes, that makes sense in the Dwarven kind of way. <laughs> oh, cool. Sorted. So I'm assuming that if you have a 90 degree turn in your track, that you don't have to set a direction for each of your minecart for each direction of track or correct um minecarts will follow tracks automatically so they'll just follow along the direction in whichever way it's pushed or so going. once you get it started it will go in that direction on the track so long as it has track to travel on correct until it runs out of momentum so right. if a dwarf is pushing it it'll just continue going if you push it it'll travel in a direction until it runs out of momentum or if you have rollers it'll just keep going do they do transfer of momentum if you run into a minecart with another minecart on the track, will the first minecart stop and the second minecart start going? Yes, it will. Ah. Oh, so you could do cascading yep. bits of joy. Minecart versions of the little clicky balls on executive desks. <laughs> yeah. uh, what about Newton's Cradle? That's exciting. The The gist is, you car- do you carve tracks or you do build them, or does it matter? Is there any benefit to one or the other? Both work. So you Both can work. carve tracks into the ground? Yep, you can carve tracks. Um, it's a little bit finicky to carve it, because if you want to carve an angle, you have to first carve north-south and then carve east-west onto the same tile and then remove the designation for the uh, sideways tiles, I guess, or the tiles adjacent to it that you don't want to engrave over. But you can smooth it and then re-engrave. Oh, I see. So you can't just... Because when you use a tile set and you're driving, it looks like it automatically creates like an elbow junction, but you're saying like you should probably not rely on that. You have to you have to do something, or is it... You can still carve elbow junctions and stuff like that into it, but mm-hmm. if you just want to affect the one corner tile and you don't want to affect, I guess, the tiles next to it, you have to remove the designation on the adjacent tiles rather than just corner tile. So I guess you can sort of overlap designations and it'll remember them as i have to say when you're carving the tracks it definitely seems less finicky to do the to do the carving the tracks because basically it's just like you just draw a line and it carves it that way yeah yeah this is drawing lines but you have to remember to overlap the corners in order for them to to dig it around there i guess build the elbow joints that you need oh i see whereas most other things if you overlap um designations it'll override what you've done previously um, track designations will not override, but kind of add on oh, top I of see. each other, if that makes any sense. <laughs> in, a, in the Dwarven kind of way, I think it kind of does. just nattering nattering on about archers so my experience with archers has been hit or miss like i love the concept i think the idea is amazing 
Um, but every time I build a squad of archers, they run out and start attacking things with their crossbow or with their stone mugs. They don't, they don't archer. They, they turn everything into melee, which doesn't seem like a logical thing. Mm-hmm. Especially when I've gone all the trouble to get them to you know, have the nice equipment and stuff, but they, they, they still just can't manage it. But yeah, so anyway, I was, I've, I've successfully built a, you know, a little containment zone around my entrance to my fort and built fortifications on top of it. And then, lo and behold, I stationed them up on top with ammo nearby, and they ran up and did as they were supposed to do. So I'm, 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 I'm amazed. I've seen them fend off a, an invasion with bows. So I'm like, wow, <laughs> geez. I feel like I just had this momentous achievement in, in my Dwarf Fortress career. <laughs> you guys use your bows and arrows to shoot off a siege. That's pretty cool. Thanks, fellas. Um, so anyway, that, that's, that's about as much excitement as I can bring. Uh, that's definitely quite the achievement. What version are you using? Uh, 4703, the, uh, yeah, the hottest it. and greatest. So maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a fix to archers. Cause maybe, yeah. I know that there has been trouble in the past with getting archers to arch. Yeah, it seems very much like a fortress-based thing. Like sometimes they'll work and they'll train or might have one or two archers that go down and train and then it'll just be nothing for quite a long time. But And then getting them to actually go and shoot is another issue in and of itself. But yeah, it seems very hit and miss for me to get it to work. But yeah, yeah no, to get it, you've done a, definitely beat a lot of the community to that, I think. Yeah, I don't really understand how it happened. Let's see if they do it again. <laughs> It'd be pretty remarkable. Yeah, I I got my archers to work every time when I disable all kinds of work for them and just tell them, okay, dude, you have nothing to do. Please train. And if they have... Somewhere you also have to say that they should not use training bolts because that is some weird stuff going on. They sometimes then take the training bolts to an actual fight and try to fight... The Foghorn Beat with some birch wood um, doesn't work really great. Dwarves. Is there any advantage to the training weapons at all, except for the fact that they're cheaper than real weapons? Um, I think they're more likely to spar, so they they will initiate a training fight uh, against each other, but only if they have uh, training weapons. Gotcha. And this is the best way to train your dwarves because you not only get a bit of uh, weapon XP, but you also train uh, dodger, shield, and armor user if they have everything. Uh, they'll still spar with regular weapons as well, I believe. Really? Yeah, I think well, I've seen him do that. Well, then, I never give him training weapons. Then training weapons are completely useless. <laughs> the one use... I'll give him is putting him in danger rooms, where it's basically just a weapon trap linked to a lever somewhere, and you fill weapon yeah. trap with wooden weapons, and then throw your doors into it, and have someone pull a lever wrench. So you basically poke your own doors with stuff repeatedly, and it rapidly trains their dodging, armor use, shield use, and occasionally weapon skill if they parry it. Um, it also trains your medicine uh, dwarf. <laughs> Yeah, because oh, eventually something will go wrong and you'll puncture a lung or cut off a limb. But acceptable casualties. I think something's changed because I built a series of archery targets in a training room right now. And immediately when I did it and assigned them, they all started coming in here and arrows are just flying everywhere. So I feel really? like something's changed. Like I've never seen that before. 
Uh, well, they keep doing it. If we have Toadie one and, and Zach on again. Hey, buddy. <laughs> and ask him not to fix impulse ramps. <laughs> I, 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 I get the physics. I get the physics. I, I think it makes exactly. sense. It's quantum. I, I don't think we need. Yeah, it's quantum. I think yeah, like they've been around quantum. for a long time. I don't know if they'll on the the soon to be fixed bugs at least. I hope. I think he's just like you know what? No, <laughs> it's just the way it works. And it allows for a, a lot of fun and wacky implementations. It's like it's a game breaking issue or anything. So Nate, how did you first discover Dwarf Fortress? How did you get involved and start playing the game? Um, a mate from high school was, oh sorry, two mates from high school were talking about it way back in the day, and I was interested to hear what they were, the stories they're talking about, and could not picture from stories how the game was played. I was trying to work out what the commands were, and they were like, you know, it's like every key on keyboard basically, and. Then, and I saw them play it and figured it was a fun challenge and slowly forced my way into the playing it and worked it out with much guidance from them. And yeah, been hooked ever since. Do you remember that was about what version probably, it was? Oh, no idea. But it's probably close to 10 or so years ago now. So what so was that, version two, was two that? versions ago? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> two versions ago? Three versions ago? Is that 44.12? I don't know. Yeah, um, it, it is funny. I I was helping somebody out that I had I'd gotten interested in this game, and um, one of the things that they found the least intuitive was the fact that sometimes the up and down arrow keys select things, and then sometimes randomly it's plus and minus, and it seems just totally completely random. And I, I looked, and it says secondary. You know, it calls it in the in the um, in the you know if you try to redefine keys. So if you're playing on a laptop, you don't want to hit shift equals every single time, at least on the U.S. keyboards. But um, yeah, it, um, you know, it calls it the secondary, secondary select. I was like, well, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't really understand what happened there or why it's like that. But anyway, it's probably best not to guess. You know, there is a, there is a logic to it that, that after you've used it for a while, it, that is, it has come to make sense. I, and I think it really has to do with whether or not you have an active cursor on the map or not. If you have an active cursor on the map, the arrows are going to move your cursor. And if you, if you, uh, at that point, you're going to need to use the plus and minus keys for the, uh, for moving your selection. So note that uh, a lot of times whenever you annoyingly mess up and use the arrow keys to try to select something and you move off the shop that you were uh, hovering over a moment ago. So. So I think that, yeah. that that may have something to do with it. Yeah. Another one that always gets me is the stockpile settings with the enabling it in the first section, then P and F to permit or forbid material in the second section, then enter to use it in the third one. <laughs> always throws me at which one I need to be pressing at the time, right time, after 10 years or so of playing the game. Still gets me. Have to hit the wrong buttons all the time. I do yeah, get but, a little yeah, muddled <laughs> about um, when I like draw a rectangle versus when I use U and M and H and K to like do that kind of fanciful <laughs> yep. stuff. How because many I, one by one forms have I placed down and then had to remove? 
<laughs> Too many. It's the magic. <laughs> that is the magic. Yeah, that part is a little um, non-intuitive. Um, I guess maybe it's for building, although I was trying to do something. Oh, floors, building floors over large areas, a little bit um, cumbersome because of the yep. drawing the box thing. I can't just like draw a path. It would be pretty cool to draw a path and, or like a wall, like if I wanted a big wall to just be able to use the, the mouse or just, you know, some other non build eight at a time place eight at a time. I'm sure there's a reason programming wise. I, I just don't understand. It'll be interesting to see if he hires an industrial engineer to help with the user interface on a, on the steam version. <laughs> uh, probably not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Another one that always gets me is the stockpile settings with the enabling it in the first section, then P and F to permit or forbid material in the second section, then enter to use it in the third one. Always throws me at which one I need to be pressing at the time, right time. After 10 years or so of playing the game, it still gets me. I have to hit the wrong buttons all the time. Once you have it sorted, it's not, it, it does have kind of a logic to it. So I'm, you know, I'm not vehemently against it or anything, but, um, but yeah, like once you, once you understand how it's supposed to work, then I don't know. It's not so bad. <laughs> it's got lots of letters on it, just like your regular keyboard. Oh, it's well. <laughs> Do not question the genius. Well, yeah. Cause I'm sort of afraid if the interface changes now, could I relearn it? I don't know. Am I capable? <laughs> I don't know if it's part of the charm of their confusing interface or if it's just another barrier to entry, but I'm quite fond of the confusing mess of letters and capitals and everything that it's come to be. The old interface. Yeah, you you don't want it to be. I mean, even even some of the inspired by games like, um, what do you call it? What's that big one in space? Rimworld. Yeah, which I think is an awesome game, by the way. But it, it's its interface is kind of clumsy too. But I think that's partly from trying to kind of, you know, being drawn in the inspiration of how tarned it is stuff. At least that's the way it feels to me. If they ever do do a major overhaul of the user interface, let's prepare the community for a big divide and lots of arguments about which was better, the old way or the new way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Wouldn't have it any other way. So since our last recording, they did release another bug fix version, and it sounds like there might be one more before he stops working on the bug fixes for a while and goes straight to to working on the, the Steam release. We're probably getting pretty close to the final version of version 44 that we're going to have for a while. I think this this previous one didn't do a whole lot of uh, user interface changes, I think. I think, Am I correct? It was mostly crash fixes? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. It feels very samey to me. Um, like interface, I don't think anything's changed there. But um, the one thing that I would love to see fixed is uh, not getting necromancer migrants or other things that raise stuff from the dead because I had a fort that I was really enjoying the other day um, and I hadn't realized that a necromancer had made it into my army and then on their way back in they, I don't know what happened I still don't really fully know what happened if they brought it back with them from the siege but I'd sent them out to go do some raiding because that, that felt like they needed that in their lives um, so I sent them out and uh, they came back and 
with them returned uh, a reanimated adder corpse, which laid waste to the entire fort, the entire military. With my legendary axe lords, like everyone was just wiped clean. And this adder basically just came in and it was like the toughest adder I've ever seen. And, I, you know, I kind of wish that that wouldn't have happened. But there you are. I feel like it's in Monty Python and the Holy Grail and everyone's running from the killer rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> Run away! Or, you know, like in my fort now, I've got this guy. He's he's a fishery worker hollow corpse. I'm like, that's, you know, everyone's cool with that. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's okay. <laughs> Is this going to cause me some problems? I, do I need to worry about the hollow corpse? But everyone seems to be okay with him. He's got, like, friends and... He's got daughters, and he's got a lover that's not a hollow corpse. So, hey, you know what? To each their own. Seriously, Maybe I'm not, he's uh, not that hollow, okay? Maybe he has a personality. He doesn't feel things. He, he doesn't seem to feel things. But, you know, he's, he's got the whole rest of everything. You know, <laughs> he, he seems okay. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so I don't know if that's part of a bug. I think that the necromancers coming to town was a bug because I think he acknowledged that, didn't he? Oh, I hear a Christmas song. Necromancers coming to town. <laughs> that is good. I love it. Um, but for example, uh, I also had a few bugs and I'm not sure if it's actually a bug, but I tend to have many, many undead people in my tavern um, and they're all called this and that uh, frozen hunter. And um, they're like, for example, I have a kobold ranger frozen hunter and a dwarf beast hunter frozen hunter, which is two hunters in one name. But hey, and the crazy part is they're undead, but no one cares about that. And yeah. they all have some legendary skills. It's amazing. This kobold has... Um, like legendary archery and legendary dodging. And I don't know where this beast hunter is right now, but he is stuck in a tree. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, you're right, Roland. I, I looked at my my hollow corpse and lucky me, he's a legendary fish dissector and a legendary fish cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> wonderfully, wonderfully useful. So... I got to think that that is a bug if your dwarves have no aversions whatsoever to the undead being part of their community. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've got a legendary fish dissector with you, amongst you're amongst greatness. <laughs> All very inclusive. <laughs> it's like pro athletes. They can get away with anything so long as they're talented. <laughs> exactly. I talked about this. I, I like diversity forts, but... Um, but this one's this is taking things a little too. As long as they don't start reanimating the butcher's table, I'm, we're cool. But yeah, I mean, I've had things die because I my my butcher was a necromancer and I just hadn't realized it. Um, so if you and it and it all goes to hell in a handbasket if you if you use auto labor in DF hack because yeah. it doesn't care at that point. It just puts anybody on it. <laughs> so it's like suddenly the fort's gone because it automatically assigned a butchering task to the necromancer. And we're toast. And the cow's skull has come back. Done us all in. I never used auto labor. Is it useful? I like it. I'm not a therapist fan. Um, I I find it too complicated and fiddly. So I just use auto labor if I'm trying to 
get stuff done. Like if I want to build a fort and have it live while I play with my cards, I just use auto labor because it works for me. But it has its downsides, which are that it doesn't care who it assigns necromancers. Gives the thing. It assigns necromancers, for example. But it also doesn't care who it gives it to. So your metalsmith might get the job of making the copper, be- you know, the the wooden bench or whatever. It wouldn't, you know. So you don't end up with these, you know, super intricate heirloom items or whatever, like legendary artifacts or whatever. Not you'll just get, you know. Stan created a toy boat. It is a toy boat with a picture of a toy boat. Like it'll just be nothing. So I feel it's necessary to give a dissenting opinion here because I adore dwarf for, or dwarf therapist, and I don't think it's too fiddly at all. I think it's extremely convenient, and at a glance you can see uh, which uh, which of your dwarves are on particular jobs and which ones who are legendary are, are just sitting right there. So yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. For me, I think it's just straight up the interface of it like um if you plan a 4k screen it seems a bit small and i know you can resize the cells and stuff but it all seems really difficult and then it's got the professions i wish i could like swap the x and the y axis and stuff like there's just things i would do i know it's open source i could just go do this but i can't because i'm not really a programmer so but hey whatever to each their own i think it's awesome i think it's cool i like the idea yeah with jonathan on this i definitely use it find it very helpful Roland, where do you stand on? Do you just use the you just use the standard interface, right, for job assignments? Well, I've used everything. I started uh, playing with the auto labels, and later on, I started to use the therapist instead. So I get more and more dwarf that are actually competent at what they're doing. And then for some time, I dabbled in the raw editing and stuff. And for that, I had a extra vanilla version without any mods. And there I use the standard interface. But I have to say that as a lazy person in general, I love Dwarf Therapist because it's just so easy. So it all has the ups and downs. I think being able to largely paint entire swarms of your fortress to completing certain tasks is also very helpful. Yeah, get, get done very quickly. Need that floor smooth really quickly. Everybody gets the smoothing labor. Exactly. <laughs> also helps find useless doors that can be used to fill better roles. Reassign all of your fissure doors quickly into miners or something else that you need. Mm, the best thing about therapist, in my opinion, is for example the whole military thing. You can actually see uh, which of your dwarfs is the best because you see them all at once. You see uh, who's your best fighter, who's your best teacher, uh, who has the most kills. And seeing this stuff just next to each other is very helpful when you try to make a legendary squad. And the ability to sort on a particular uh, column is nice so that you can just see the names. You can you know sort by your swordsman and see all the swordsmen at the top of the list so you can know who to actually pick when you're in the game yeah. itself. Yep. Kind of cool. All right, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not trying to push you into anything. It's it's. But I definitely think it's worthwhile giving it a try. <laughs> yeah. No, I I I like that aspect of it because I think with auto labor you do lose that ability to um, have those cool artifacts created because basically anything happens and that's kind of a that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, definitely handy to get legendary duels and war skills. It's it's amazing how quickly um, some of this stuff's coming out, though. I, I think that's pretty cool. 
because uh, now, as far as I know, everything's been compiled and patched. Like even textly text is up and running through through some patches that have been put. And I know some terrific folks have compiled DF Hack and TWBT for the different platforms. I don't know if Linux is taken care of, but Mac is done. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool that it's happening that so quickly, and that you know we're seeing. The the lazy new pack is even is even out there. It doesn't have TWBT yet, but it's got everything else. Pretty neat. Before we start wrapping things up, I do want to mention that I haven't touched Lurid Whips since I got it back from Tony uh, back in December because of all of the the rush with uh, with the uh, uh, release and everything. To remind listeners, Lurid Whips is our bloodline fort that that Roland, Tony, and I have been circulating amongst ourselves so i do plan on picking that back up and hopefully we can give you some updates on where things stand with that because i honestly don't even remember what the fortress layout looked like <laughs> well it's stuck in the past it's using the e olden version so maybe we should set set sail well we'll have to wait till mef gets the uh his uh his launch launcher uh back up and running all oh, right and have the other launcher mm-hmm yeah, that's right. Well, we, we could always blow it away and just do Phoebus and call it a day. There's nothing wrong with know, Phoebus. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with just keep letting this fortress go until it until it, <laughs> uh, it reaches its natural end using the Meftal set in version 44.12. That's fine. I'll just have the dwarves keep digging loads and loads and loads of randomly placed deep vertical shafts of stairways <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> and- Great idea. Personally, I have yet <laughs> to have a good outcome whatsoever. Whenever we get attacked by a uh, by uh, uh, goblins or anything, so uh, <laughs> actually, I think I've got a solution, which is now I'm going to do that, and then right at, at, at a key and defining moment, I'm going to pause it, save the game, and pass it. To you. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and I'm going to have it be in, from the meeting hall. <laughs> well, you'll have to time that pretty well so that uh, so that that happens to happen at the beginning of the year. Or so, yes. otherwise, otherwise, I'll know you did it on purpose. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap things up. Uh, thanks a lot, Nate, for coming on the show and talking all about your fancy minecart water squirter thing. <laughs> no worries, there you come. Cool. Super cool. Um, very fun project, and I think truly something that we are all going to try to get functioning and working. Um, I'll just be happy if I minute. get minecarts working at all. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be baby steps, really. It's It's got to be baby steps, at least for me. So It's a I'm truly stoked. impressive project, though, that you did there, Nate. <laughs> it's really, really cool. It was very exciting, even to people who didn't play Dwarf Fortress that I showed it to. Who was... <laughs> We're like that. That's once they understood what they were seeing. Very cool. Well, next step we'll be trying to get it to uh, work with magma. But oh, God. <laughs> I'm gonna wait until I think the uh, fighting between mods and uh, versions finishes up before I start any serious thoughts. Okay. Well, so till next time, this is Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, and we'll catch everybody later. See ya. Catch you around. See us. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. This has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Please stop by and leave a comment or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. 
While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. Music for this episode is from filmmusic.io. Sky Q. Ellen and Folk Round are both by Kevin McLeod. You can find more music from Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Please consider donating to the creators of Dwarf Fortress at bay12games.com. If you'd like to help support Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, you can find us on Patreon. Links to all of these are in the show notes. Mm-hmm.